Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Nick Augustine, and I'm your host on this episode of Money Talk Radio, produced by ProServe Public Relations, home of the ProServe Club. Please uh, show your support and click the like button on our Money Talk Radio Facebook page, and you'll find links to a variety of other episodes. Support for the Law and Money Talk Radio programs comes from Chris McCarthy of Northwestern Mutual. Chris McCarthy provides individuals and business owners with expert guidance and exclusive access to Northwestern Mutual's life and disability insurance policies. The Northwestern Mutual Life Insurance Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Today's show is Financial Planning for Women in Transition with our guest, Doug Eaton. Fear and love are the two only two emotions and upon which the entire plan is based. If there's no love, then only fear exists. The plan is not found online, and financial advisor or not, planning is best done as an interactive and Socratic process. You know, even Michael Jordan benefited from a coach. Doug Eaton, our guest today, is a financial advisor who's been in the financial planning business since 1996. He graduated with a finance degree from the University of Miami School of Business, and after nine years as a successful agent for New York Life Insurance Company and AXA Advisors, LLC, uh, which is Equitable Life Insurance at the time, he founded uh, Eaton Financial Group in May of 2004. Now, what sets Doug apart is his affinity and success with women investors, particularly women who have experienced life-changing transitions that need support in determining the best course for their financial future. You can find more information about Doug at his website, which is for Eaton Financial Group, www.eatonfinancialgroup.com. I'll spell that for you. E-A-T-O-N-F-I-N-A-N-C-I-A-L group g-r-o-u-p dot com so all one word eatonfinancialgroup.com we do welcome our callers this afternoon if you have any questions you can certainly dial in and uh, voice your question for Doug telephone number is 917-889-9732 you can press option 1 to be placed in our caller queue telephone number again is 917-889-9732 quick disclaimer this is a general information and entertainment program and the advice shared on our show does not constitute professional advice communication with licensed professionals on our shows does not create client relationships. ProServe Public Relations and ProServe PR Marketing do not necessarily endorse all the opinions expressed by our guests. Finally, all callers are confidential and rights to this broadcast are reserved. Now, on today's program, we're going to cover a variety of topics. We'll try to uh, uh, hit on everything in the first 15 minutes and give you a taste of what we're going to talk about during the rest of our show. Um, The topics we're going to get into are, first, financial planning generally and what savvy investors should know. Secondly, the sound approach is based on a system and a process. Again, a system and process. The products are great, but it's not only the products. It's a system and a process. Uh, Third, intergenerational uh, planning is a sound part of the financial plan and the future of financial planning. I know that we uh, experience life in short um, uh, pieces of time, but really there is a uh, multi-generational and intergenerational approach here. So, uh, Fourthly, we'll talk about how Eden Financial Group engages in successful planning activities with clients and community. And then finally, we'll round out with an outlook. Uh, talk a little bit about your opinion for financial independence for the future. So, enough from me. Let's hear from our guest, Doug Eaton. Hi, good evening. How are you guys? Everyone is doing great out here, Doug. We're so glad to have you with you. Thank you for your valuable time. I appreciate it. And, and thank you for that great introduction. I'm not even sure my mother would have given me such a glowing introduction like that. 
Oh, that's why the, they pay me the big bucks. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, let's jump right in. Um, let's talk a little bit about financial planning. Uh, generally, our first topic, uh, give us an overview of uh, what we're going to talk about to this afternoon. Well, first of all, there's an infinite amount of financial information on the Internet and in books and blogs and so forth. Uh, but there's very little advice. And often those who need the planning most just don't get it. And that's why uh, planners are actually relevant in today's market. Sounds good. Okay, now, once, now next we're going to talk about uh, the sound approach being based on a process and not the products. What's that all about? Essentially... Everybody has to remember that the plan drives the portfolio, not the other way around. You don't buy Apple and therefore have a plan. You have a financial plan that has X, Y, and Z as the required allocation given your priorities in life. And if Apple fits, then you buy it. Makes sense to me. All right, what about intergenerational planning? What are we going to talk about there? Essentially, when, when you're doing financial planning, it's not just about keeping your money for your lifetime. It's about building wealth over generations. You know, true wealth is not just so you have enough money to uh, play golf. It's so you're, you're basically creating old money for your heirs. Old money for the heirs is a good thing. Then fourth, we're going to touch on uh, how Eaton Financial Group engages in successful planning activities with clients and as well with community. Absolutely. You know, our ultimate vision for our clients is, is obviously to, to develop and then also maintain an intergenerational plan, which puts them in a position to, and essentially this is a financial plan, A, don't run out of money during your lifetime. Number two, or B, have proper long-term care planning. Uh, C, ensure that your heirs should not have to sell assets to pay estate tax. And D, fund your kids' and your grandchildren's education. If you start from there, that's a great basis for a plan. I think that once you start uh, creating a plan and start putting money away for the kids, I know at least I know when I see, uh, you know, it's you know those monies come out of um, come out of the account and uh, you sort of don't really see it until you look at the statements. It's really nice to have a, have something accumulating there. So, and then fifth, we're going to talk about the outlook and opportunity for financial independence. It's something we all want, right? I, I think it's very very important. You know, essentially what I'm trying to teach clients, especially over the last several years, you know, people that I've spoken to, especially in their 50s and 60s, really had the life scared out of them because their parents were Depression-era, you know, investors. And they were scared, and there were several generations of people who just wouldn't invest money. And now after, you know, 08 and 09, that was a big shock again. And what, what I'm trying to counsel is that, it's okay to be optimistic in, in terms of investing for the future. Optimism is realism, and I'm trying to teach that, and that, that's one part of our outlook. The other part is obviously getting people comfortable with how to buy stock, with how to buy mutual funds, with how to buy equity. Let's talk a little bit now, Doug, about what when we, uh, I was saying before, what sets you apart is uh, – working with women investors and women in transition. Tell us a little more about that. Well, number one, when you do anything, you know, as the saying goes, you, you do what you love and the money will follow. And, you know, when, when you start out in financial planning, as, as your uh, sponsor probably knows from when he started out in the insurance business, anybody who fogs the mirror is a prospect. And if you can make it through your first year or two, 
you've essentially beaten the odds. If you can make it through the first three years, you've really beaten the odds, and essentially there's, there's an attrition rate of like 90%. But what you really want to do over time is establish a niche in which you work, and that helps you do the best job for your particular clients because you have an affinity for that group. And that typically makes for an excellent practice as well. And over the years, uh, I sort of fell into this niche. It started um, essentially when a, a very close friend of my wife's, uh, her mother, well, uh, the, the husband, her husband uh, died very suddenly. And I was brought in to help uh, deal with the estate and do some of the planning. And, and what I found was that she was, A, very appreciative of the help, uh, B, she was very, you know, she embraced the plan. The planning process itself was very, very comforting to her, and I could see that she was very, you know, very much in tune with how that was going to help her over the years and, and help sort of calm her. And the other, the other thing that I noticed that was much different was that she was extremely responsive to advice. She was very coachable. And, you know, you put all these things together, and to me, that made it a very, you know, pleasant way to do business. She was interested in learning, and also she trusted. You know, as anybody in the financial business will tell you, a lot of those things are very tough things to deal with. You know, number one, you have to get over this trust barrier constantly with prospective clients. And, and any of those things I talked about, the coachability, the planning process, the, the, the trust, and the interest in learning, the interest in learning, those, real, those were things that I really enjoyed. And, you know, I, I realized that that was a way I really liked doing business. I, you know, earlier on, I, I was doing a lot of business with investment bankers and lawyers in Manhattan. And, it, you know, I felt it was, a, it was a constant struggle to prove I'm right and you probably should listen to me. And this was the way I liked doing business a lot better. And, and ultimately, uh, I started getting more referrals. And I really enjoyed that end of the business. And that's, uh, that's how it started. And that was probably about, uh, what, about eight years ago now. You know, Doug, when we talk to young attorneys in transition, and that's uh, one of the columns I write for the Chicago Lawyer magazine every week, it's tough to come up with new content, but you realize that people need to experience all sides of the business until they really find their niche and what works with them. Um, it, sometimes it takes several years into your career, but you have to find out what you don't like first to find out where you really excel. Um, I also noticed that you have offices in Florida as well as New York, so I understand that you have clients in both. You hop back and forth. How do you do that? Yeah, well, first of all, you make a great point in terms of, of, of identifying what you like and what you don't like. I, I can't stress that enough to anybody who's, who's either struggling in their profession or new in their profession, is that the, the best money you can spend sometime is even to hire somebody to teach you how to do that because it makes for a happier life. Um, and then in, just in terms of, uh, you know, how I'm, how I'm splitting my time, I lived in Manhattan for about uh, 12 years, and I still have a lot of clients both in the city, um, surrounding areas, and I also do a lot of work uh, upstate at Vassar College. So I travel to New York uh, about once a month, sometimes a little more, sometimes a little less. And um, I also have clients, you know, out in the Midwest, and I'll, I'll travel out there. And uh, basically, I'm here most of the time, unless I'm out of the out of the state for a couple of days. 
Very good. It's uh, you know I have a similar thing. I hop back and forth between um, Chicago and uh, Orange County, California, in the LA area. So I'm all over the place too. So it's uh, thank thank thankfully we have such great technology. We can always uh, serve our clients and get everything done. So um, do you see? Let me ask you this: uh, What are some of the financial? Are there? Uh, I don't know. I don't really know if there are many differences, but between your clients in different areas, what are some of the geographic concerns from different areas of the country that you see, or is it uh, all pretty much the same? Well, when you say geographic concerns, are you saying financial topics that may sure from be, different areas? Uh, yeah. Well, number one, I mean, you're you're always looking at, at state laws with regard to estate planning. Um, certainly, some states have tax; other states don't. Like, for instance, uh, Florida has no state tax whereas New York and, and some, most other states do, and that's relevant in managing to cash flow over the years. You know, if you, you live in New York City, you know, you're dealing with 12% less money, theoretically. And, you know, you move to Florida, you don't have that problem. And, um, you know, so that, you know, you have, you know, essentially estate laws, taxes, and, you know, cost of living, certainly. You know, somebody living in uh, Chapel Hill, North Carolina, uh, versus the Upper East Side, it's working with a different set of expenses. Although they may have the same square footage, they're just dealing with a, you know, a, a different fact pattern. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, it's different, you know, different uh, things affecting different people, and certainly all those tax differences and going between states. Um, there's a lot to think about, especially if you're uh, bordering one state and you have a small business, you might want to, you know, for example, California, a lot of people will put their business in Nevada and, um, you know, different tax advantages there. So certainly good things to ask a, an advisor. Now, I also noticed that from your bio here that your uh, Eaton Financial Group is a full-service fee-based financial advisory firm. Can you talk a little bit about that and your approach? Uh, I know we're going to get into this more later, but the difference between fee-based and uh, commission-based uh, firms. Sure. You know, there's there's a huge amount of, of controversy as to how advisors get paid with commission, with fee-based, and so forth. And, you know, I, I don't want to try to solve that problem here because I think that, number one, I, I want to state unequivocally that when you're doing the right thing for a client and you're client-centric, the compensation is not the issue. However, to me, I like to – I like – I like to make sure that clients understand that I'm on their side of the table. And when you do things on a fee basis, the fees are very, very transparent. It's X for Y. I'm doing this. I'm going to charge you that. And this is what I'm going to provide. And there's not the whole issue of, well, did you sell this or that uh, for a certain reason? You know, they, you pay me a fee on the assets I manage. It's very easy to quantify exactly what I'm doing and measuring, you know, what I'm doing, and you can even quantify that to time. You know, I like to sort of peg it to the amount of time I spend on a particular plan versus commission-based. Now, I'll use a quick example. Um, there's a million dollars that I manage, and in this account, say I buy stocks, mutual funds, ETFs, bonds. Now, one way of me getting compensated is when I buy 1,000 shares of Microsoft, I could take a commission which isn't what I do, but that's, there's a commission-based standard, and that will be X. Let's just call it $5,000. Whereas a million dollars, the way I manage it, I'll charge a fee based on the total amount of assets that I manage, and that will be taken out of the account once per quarter. And it's just in cash, and that's the end of it. No matter how many trades I make, 
it's just the same exact thing. Does that make sense? It does. And I'll tell you what, transparency is so important uh, today, especially after so much of the negative press and negative media we saw from um, some of the uh, folks who were not being so transparent, um, not to go any further into that, but uh, it's it's really good. There's so many good things to look for when you're shopping for a financial advisor. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that and the rest of our topics after our first break. Now, again, you are listening to Money Talk Radio, which is produced by ProServe PR Marketing. We want to let you know that our shows are uh, sponsored by our – well, the shows are paid for by our uh, sponsors and sponsor activity, and guests do not pay a fee to be on our show. That's something that uh, apparently some people are doing that around the country, but that's not – that's not our deal. We find our guests organically and uh, bring you the best talent and uh, people that we can find. Uh, we also want to let you know that we have an upcoming uh, second season, or, or a second session, rather, of the Get Clients, Get More Clients and Grow Your Practice series. That's the series uh, teleseminar with myself and Jim Thompson. This series takes place on Wednesday evenings. That's the fourth Wednesday of every month. This month is going to be February 25th at 7 Central, 5 p.m., uh, Pacific, you can join the teleconference and follow along with the PowerPoint as Jim and I teach PR marketing to lawyers and other business professionals. You can find all the information on the workshops located at proservepr.com. And uh, I'll click you right there now and tell you that the uh, we have a click you can click on here for registration information and it shows the different shows. February, uh, the next show uh, is events follow-up and uh, practicing the referral mindset. So we're going to talk about changing the referral mindset. Uh, so, so many of us get clients through referrals and other people, and uh, so many people are missing the boat on that. So that's our, our next topic. Of course, our first topic when we started this uh, launched with goal setting and creating your marketing plan for the year. All of these uh, can be found under the workshops page at proservepr.com. Um, so go ahead and check that out. The first three of these are free. Registration is going to be $12, or I'm sorry, $25 per session uh, afterwards. And of course, um, the entire series is free to members of the ProServe Club. You can also find more information about the ProServe Club, uh, which is our members-only uh, part of our website, which also serves as a networking hub with meetups, events, and uh, all sorts of opportunities to network and meet other professionals. We also house all of our uh, content uh, and also some proprietary information. And the uh, for DIY marketers, the nuts and bolts of how you can get in and accomplish a lot of things you're Yourself. Um, so that is all about the ProServe Club. That's a new service that is launching officially on February 15th. So pre-sale, uh, pre-sale memberships are, are going on right now. Thirty dollars a month, you get 15% off when you uh, sign up for a full year. So uh, there's also a tab at ProServePR.com. You can find more information about the ProServe Club. All right, now back with our guest, Doug Eaton. We're going to get into some of the meat of our discussion here. Uh, going back to, and again, I'm going to read you the list of what we're going to talk about for the rest of our show. Uh, we're going to speak now about financial planning generally and what savvy investors need to know. Then we're going to talk more about the sound approach of a system and process, third, uh, intergenerational planning, and then a little bit more about 
uh, Eaton Financial Group and how they engage the community and clients. And then finally, the uh, outlook and opportunity for financial independence in the future. So uh, we have a great show for the rest of the hour. And uh, Doug, let's talk a little bit more in depth about financial planning generally and this concept of the plan is not online. Um, what should we know here? Well, first of all, every planning process, rich, poor, uh, interested, not so interested in the plan, but every, every, every process needs to start with one question. The question is, or the answer to the question is, Nick, what's important to you about your money and why? I want to know what's really important to you and why it's important because the basis on which every plan is developed are the answers to those questions. If you say to me, my money is important to me because I would like to send my kids to college and I don't want them to have loans, I'd like to know why. If I really understand why, that perhaps you had to work your way through school and that made school not just a great experience for you and this is very personal to you, that's a great reason. Now, the reasons don't necessarily matter. What matters is that they're important to you because when you build a good plan, it starts with that question because that helps me identify your values. You know, you, you do a plan based on somebody's goals, like, hey, I want to buy a Corvette. I always wanted to have a gold or a silver Corvette or whatever. You know what? That could change in five years when you outgrow whatever it is you're going through. And that's a goal, whereas your values are who you are. And if you know who you are, the decisions that you make about money and, and about everything are a little more sound and they're more relevant. So if I understand that, that's the basis on which we start the plan. And when I get to the bottom of that question, what's important to you about your money, then essentially what I do next is I'm looking for the risk in your financial life, meaning are you insured properly? Uh, do you have cash reserves? Uh, are you saving for these things that are actually important for you? You know, for instance, Nick, if you... If you say to me, saving for my kids' education is very important and I'd like to do so in a tax-efficient manner, well, in investing in tax liens in you know distressed property in South Florida may not be the most relevant thing at the time and maybe there's a different direction you should be going. So then you know, the point I'm making is that when you start with this plan, the plan will in essence drive the portfolio decisions you make taking risk out of the portfolio by having proper insurance, as, as your Northwestern guy knows. That's important because if you, you're rolling along and you're doing your savings, but you don't have disability insurance, you don't have uh, health insurance, that's a problem. Cash reserves, I can't stress enough. You are not allowed to be buying the GLD ETF gold fund if you don't have at least several months of household expenses in the bank in a cash or a cash alternative. You know, the, why, why is that? Well, if you don't have reserve and something happens in the, in the family, say you lose a job, say there's an uninsured medical expense, say that you have a financial shock of some sort, you know, you're in an adjustable rate mortgage and interest rates spike. I mean, that's not going to happen so soon, but something like that. If you have to go into your IRA, or something where you're very long the market, where you're, you, you know, you've bought gold, you've bought Microsoft, and you just happen to need that money when you're down or when the market is down, say, 
you've just created an inefficient situation for yourself or, or even a taxable situation. Whereas if you take some money, set it aside, the emergencies are covered by that. You don't, and you, you don't feel as though you're desperate and you're, you're taking money out of, out of an IRA or, or even worse, a 401k or you know, cash value of your life insurance. In addition, personally speaking, if you have a partner or you have a spouse, it's very stressful to not have reserve because you feel as though you don't have money. And, you know, unfortunately, there's a lot of divorces and a lot of, a lot of distress in relationships over money, which essentially could be resolved if there was sufficient reserve. The, the other thing I'll tell you about reserves is that when you, when you start to create the reserve and you realize that it's tough to do, it reveals that you have a cash flow issue. And if you're, you're smart and you're disciplined, that will theoretically create some austerity in the household. You will realize that you don't have enough money because you need reserve and you don't have it. And, and fortunately, or in, fortunately in a lot of cases, people will make the right decision. But I see so much, um, so many couples that, that come in and, and so, many, so many individuals that come in who feel that they're very wealthy. You know, they, they, they have a million bucks, but it's all in their IRA and $5,000 in the bank. And, you know, those are situations that I have to work on first. So the reserves are extremely important. And that, that is a financial risk, just like being uninsured is a financial risk. You know, it's I, I come out of divorce law originally, which probably is what led me uh, astray to become a journalist and media person um, that's neither here nor there. But I'll tell you that I saw so many people who were divorcing over financial issues. And when it came into talking about money and uh, marshalling assets and uh, securities, it was always some, It was a disconnect on money and cash flow. It's such an important thing that I think people uh, have a tendency to try to put all their – when you start investing, put everything there. Or it's the same thing as paying down bills and debt. It's nice to pay down bills and pay down debt, but if it leaves you starving with no money in the bank, that doesn't help anyone. Um, what now? What other now? Talking about the plan a little bit more. What's this about the Socratic process? I, I always like that. Well, you went to law school, didn't you? Well, yeah, the, I, I live and breathe the Socratic process. I right. actually informally use it with people I'm talking to sometimes. Well, I, you know, I think you're better to explain the Socratic method than me. But um, you know, essentially, Socratic means that there's no right answer. It's 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 another way of saying. And correct me if I'm wrong. You know, you have to lead somebody down the wrong path to get to the right answer. So an example of the Socratic method and what I do would be, um, so Nick, tell me, tell me a little bit about um, why is it that you bought uh, this house? And you'll say, well, I bought it because I wanted to live in this neighborhood for this school district. And I'll say, okay, where do you see, where do you see things in 10 or 12 years? And essentially, the point is, the more questions I ask you, the closer we're going to get to an answer without me ever telling you the answer. I, I think one quick way to lose credibility in, in any advisory capacity, whether it be a divorce attorney or a financial advisor or even, even a physician, is to tell somebody the answers directly. I think the Socratic method helps you ask people enough questions where they realize the answers themselves 
by going down different paths. And that's essentially how, you know, how I try to run, you know, a, a process, the the, uh, the planning process, just being a bit more Socratic and, you know, real, and helping clients realize there is no black letter law of this is the best plan. Right, the best right. plan is what's good for you, and you only identify what's good for you out of Q&A. It makes sense because um, if someone comes to you and say, Doug, what's the hottest ticket in town? What do I need to do to, you know, this and that? It, it's a, you know, maybe something that no one's ever thought of, but but unless you ask the right questions, you're not going to get the right answers because people, I have a feeling with every professional and client situation, clients present what they think the professional wants to hear. Am I right? Absolutely. Look, it, you know, I've been getting, I get a lot of these questions every time a big IPO comes out. So what questions do you think I've been getting for the last week? Should I buy Facebook? Facebook, 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 20 times a day Facebook. And you, what am I going to do, say no? That's like, it's like constantly telling your kid you can't eat this. Yeah, buy Facebook. Don't eat that. Then you become the heavy and the bad guy. And, look, it may or may not be a good idea. You know, fact of the matter is it will probably end up being a good investment for the longer term. But, you know, when, when somebody calls me about Facebook, essentially what I'll say is, okay, um, do you think that this will fit into the portfolio as we designed it? And we, you know, we kind of agreed. And if they say yes, I'll say, well, okay, so just refresh my memory. We have about 80% of your money in corporate bonds and in cash. Now explain to me how you think this is going to fit in. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, I don't say it always with that level of sarcasm. It depends on who the client is. But right. You know, I, I mean, I, I actually did feel the call from a woman who's 82, and essentially I manage a trust for her. And she has cash, treasuries, and very short-duration corporates, and she wanted to buy Facebook. And her whole portfolio is designed to just generate some income just for a little bit more time where it was sitting in cash for many years. And, you know, the point is, is eventually I asked her enough questions where she realized all by herself without me being, you know, a buzzkill that it probably wasn't the most appropriate investment. And, you know, that's how I'll use that on a day-to-day -day basis. Now, we're going to um... – we're going to pause quickly for our second commercial break, and then we're going to get into talking about a little bit about the sound approach based on a process. Um, here's where we're talking about systems. I love systems, and it's a, a nice little transition to um, to our um, well, my general message about systems, and that when you're marketing plans. I mean, it's the beginning of the year, and everyone's talking about a marketing plan. So many the economic changes have caused a lot of people to be in sole practices now, and uh, you know we're finding out a lot of the people who are uh, p tuning into a lot of our shows and content are some of the seasoned professionals who know that they need to get out there and get active, and that a good marketing plan is not just uh, dropping dropping money with decks. Uh, you know that used to be the case, and everyone just bought advertising, but the landscape's changing. People are, you know, I had a guy yesterday uh, ask me, Nick, does this social media stuff really work? And I'm telling him that I've had most, of, a lot of my income and most of the people that I have the chance to meet are through social networks. I always say that spending an hour on Facebook is like going to, um, you know, 50 different parties and checking in and making an appearance. So, you know, definitely there's a lot of changes in the world, and um, that is why 
we put together everything on the ProServe PR site. Of course, uh, we're still uh, working with our clients from a consulting and one-on-one with our law firm and financial firms and small businesses, but also providing uh, services and monthly marketing plans for them to uh, execute the marketing plan and get the work done. Um, And as well, we are uh, actively promoting the uh, ProServe Club. Again, this is a great opportunity for less than a dollar a day. I'm going to give you – these are bullets. I'm reading this right off the website. It's at ProServePR forward slash subscriptions. Again, um, the pre-sale subscription rate is 30 bucks a month. And uh, for a dollar a day, about you're going to get detailed instructions on law firm marketing and publicity, exclusive invitations to meetups and networking events, case studies of successful marketing campaigns, and niche practice advice, daily tips, and ideas. So really, when you see what other people have done, you can apply that to your firm. Again, uh, you know, I'm a seasoned law graduate. I've been out for you know over 10 years now, and I've worked with so many different law firms in different practice areas, and I can apply a lot of these uh, principles to what people are doing and try to issue spot the things that you might not have already seen. Because again, when you're running your business, you're just too close to it. So uh, it's nice to have another set of eyes and ears. And for those who are starting their firms on a shoestring budget, this ProServe Club is really a great place for you to get all sorts of information. So that is my... Uh, that is my message for the halfway point through our show. Again, for those of you who are just tuning in, of course, you can always click back and listen to the show from the start. Um, our shows are always archived. You can always find those on Money Talk Radio uh, Facebook page, uh, as well as the ProServe Club members will also get a, a long list of all of the shows uh, by category. So uh, in the beginning of our show, we talked with Doug Eaton about financial planning generally and what savvy investors should know. And we talked a little bit about uh, the sound approach um, and system and process is our next topic. And then after that, we're going to talk about intergenerational planning and then a little bit more about how Eaton Financial Group engages in successful planning activities. And then finally, some of the outlooks uh, for the next year and financial independence in the future, which we would all like as we go through day-to-day in this recovering economy. But, Doug, let's talk now a little bit about this sound approach. I love systems. I uh, had a friend, Doug, who was um, this Harvard think tank guy, and he told me, Nick, you're a systems thinker. And I oh, what are you talking about? Um, and I realized, he says, I, I see the way you you know do things, and you know you troubleshoot, and it takes you forever to get started on something, but I know all aspects of it. So uh, like systems, if you've never thought of systems, it's, it's such a great thing. So Doug, tell us how you apply systems uh, and processes in planning along with the products, but not solely relying on the products. Sure. Sure. You know, you reminded me of uh, something I heard once where, you know, I guess carpenters use this, that you you measure twice so you can cut once. And, you know, sometimes it's good to do a little planning up front and develop your systems so then you can really run with things and you don't have to stop and start and stop and start. Um, But, you know, over the years I've developed systems in the practice because, you know, clients really want to know that, what you promise them will be delivered. And if you have, you know, 150 clients and you're really paying a lot of attention to them and the plans are very, very detailed and have a lot of tentacles, you can't deliver what you're going to promise unless there's a systemization to everything. And the systemization allows you to make sure that every new law, every new idea, every new concept, every new every nuance gets 
uh, trickle down to every single client, no matter how big or you know small they are. And that's very, very important. So when I go to a meeting, and it's a review meeting, and I, I promise uh, Nick Augustine that I'm going to get done what's going to amount to 10 or 12 things over the next week, there actually needs to be a process by which I deliver that. So the main reason I started this was, you know, essentially I realized it was good business. But, you know, also it just occurred to me that if if you have assets and you have insurances that are not attached to a plan, it, it creates uh, inefficiencies and it creates waste. So what I realized was that I had to develop a system and a process by which I had reviews with every client. The review process is nothing more than a way to make sure my system trickles down to every single client. And every client, no matter if they have $10,000 or $4.5 million, goes through the same review process a few times a year. And then the systems, you know, essentially it's nothing more than a fancy outlook system with alarms and, and colors and things like that that are automated they tell me these are all the things I still have to do for Nick Augustine or whomever, and it'll keep popping up until they're finished. And this way I can, you know, I can uh, essentially under-promise and over-deliver. But, you know, what's, what's incredibly important is to make sure that what you're trying to deliver to a client actually gets delivered. And I, I think that that makes, for a, uh, that makes for a happy client relationship, and that's very important. It's communication, too. Uh, one of the complaints of so many professionals and um, lawyers, we take a bad rap on this, it's calling the client back and letting them know what's happening. And again, any fiduciary relationship where another professional has your best interest and your livelihood in their hands, you want this person to be able to tell you at any given point what's going on. So, tell me, so Doug, sure. does the system help with, if the, you know, do people call and say, um, you know, what's the status of things today? I just saw a jarring thing in the news about um, the situation in Greece or this or that. Um, yeah. So how does this help you? Well, for instance, just in the spirit of systems, you know, it's something I've, I've tried to teach people who work for me, and, and I, I absolutely try to follow it myself, is you always need to beat bad news home. And my clients will notice that they hear from me a lot more when the market is bad and there's distress. And, you know, essentially the joke is with some of my clients is they don't hear from me so much when things are good. Um, but if, if there's, you know, debt ceiling, you know, nonsense going on or, or, you know, God forbid worse, this, this, you know, stuff that went on in 08 and 09, they're hearing from me two, three times a week because I don't want people to wake up and see a big gigantic banner across the bottom of the screen saying, uh, the market didn't open up today because it was 20% down pre-market. They need to hear that from me. And I think that, you know, if you communicate the, the bad things to clients, over time they learn to trust that there's no need to panic. And I think that's very, very important. It, it's, it's, it's a mindset that you want clients to have. And essentially, if they know that they're going to get answers without having to look it up online and without having to ask for it, that's very important. You know, a, a mentor of mine in the business about... Uh, 12, 13 years ago, it said to me, you're never going to lose a client 
over performance, but you will certainly lose clients over communication. And I, I followed that for many years. Yep. Systems, automated systems, and what and what else? Is there anything else you want to cover on that uh, before we go on to intergenerational planning? Well, I think um, just in terms of systems, I you know we had touched on you know compensation and and fees and things like that. I I think that one you know one challenge that the industry has is that you know a lot of people in our industry have have just a terrible reputation. You know, there's a there's an old joke which is sometimes funny, sometimes not so funny, but you know, you don't you don't want to talk to somebody at a party, you, you tell them you're a financial advisor. <laughs> we tell them we're garbage men. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or you know, the other joke was tell them you sell life insurance. But you know, the 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 bottom line is that I think what clients really need to understand is that typically people with, with an excellent process and have have good review skills and good financial planning skill sets will work on a fee basis because they have these systems and they don't need to generate the commissions. What happens is that you know you're not very disciplined and you kind of manage to the next big sale. And I see this a lot. And essentially, what happens is you you'll get a situation where, unfortunately. Salespeople will need the commission a lot more than you need the product. And I, I think that's very important. It, it's very, very important to have a disciplined practice so, frankly, how you make money is very stable and it's ongoing and it, it grows nice and easily over time. And you, you can't really do that unless it, you, you have a decent way to run your practice. The um, you know, bottom line is that uh, it, it's a process. Like you had a law practice, I'm sure, for, for a while and – you know, over time, you just have to kind of keep, you know, keep adding clients, keep doing the right thing, but it's a very slow and steady process. You know, do you follow baseball at all, Nick? I do as much as I can. Um, I am a, a Cubs fan and okay. always support. We're going to the World Series this year. <laughs> Sorry, well, I'll, I'll call you back in uh, September. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk that through. But, you know, the, the point is, is a much more valuable guy in the team than a home run hitter, and that's the guy who gets singles and doubles. That's right. He he moves people around the bases. He he can manufacture runs when he's called on to do so, and this is very much about how to build any type of services-related practice. And, you know, that's, you know, I'll kind of leave it with that. Well, you know what else is that, if especially where your niche is, women in financial transition, there is a major factor of, people are going to talk about who they like and who treats them well and who's responsive. Um, And, you know, perception uh, of success images reality. And if the image is that you care for them and you actually come through as an honest, decent human being, uh, clients will talk and and they'll tell other people and they'll send referrals. I mean, it's just that simple. Sure. It's good business. I mean, you're, you're doing, you're doing some, some programming on referrals and you know, one of the, I, I suspect one of the things you're going to touch on it's not just how to ask for referrals and not just how to monetize referrals, but being referable. And, and being referable means you have to have, you, you know, you you got to walk the walk. And it's not just even seeming like you care. You have to really care. And even if you do care and you don't return a phone call, it seems as though you don't care. And, and you know, let's face it, with, with kids and Cub games and tennis and whatever else you do in your life, plus all your clients and and this and that and this and that, 
if you don't have a steady system and you don't have good people working for you and you miss a phone call, that's bad. And you, you've, you've lost a lot of goodwill. And, and you know, in, in what I do with, with a lot of women who are, say, widowed or, or divorced, they already have enough stuff they're dealing with that, that is upsetting to them. If they have one more person who has, you know, managed to disappoint them, that's not really going to help them uh, kind of move on with their lives, especially financially speaking, because they're they're going to get hung up on on you know getting screwed over once again. Yep. So I think that that's extremely important. Yeah, you know what? We're gonna. It's it's tough when you have people who people trust easily, but if you break their trust, you take advantage of that. Um, another thing is just attrition. Too many people lose clients to attrition based on apathy. Um, if you take your clients for granted and don't, um, for lack of a better word, give them some love every now and then, they're gonna go to somebody else. Um, it's you know people are investing a lot of time and resources in professionals, and we need to step up the game. Uh, we're gonna pause for our final commercial break, and then we're gonna be back with Doug Eaton to talk about some of our uh, wrapping up talk. Talk a little bit more about intergenerational planning, and a little bit more about how Eaton Financial Group engages in these successful planning activities. Uh, earlier in the show, we talked about financial planning generally and what savvy investors need to know about planning, and then we talked about systems and processes. Now, I want to uh, highlight, this is uh, relevant to our audience today of women in transition, Stop uh, George Finder and Stop Credit Damage. You can uh, search on Facebook for Stop Credit Damage or George Finder, Credit Damage Expert. He is um, a client of mine, and I'm, I want to tell you about his book, uh, but first I'll give you generally what he does. He's a credit damage expert educating individuals on the changing landscape for victims of credit reputation damage. He's the author of several books on related topics, including credit damage and divorce and identity theft. George provides expert witness testimony for plaintiffs and defendants in damage-related cases. George Finder's most recent project in the education of attorneys on how to measure, identify, and manage credit damage clients. Now, uh, George is located in Southern California in Fullerton, but is available nationwide, and he has a book, and I can sell you this book. It is a great book. It is all about people who, if you are foreclosed and you want to get back into a home, there are several steps that you need to follow under these uh, federal plans, and George has gone to the process of taking care of putting these all together. The book, I can sell you this book for $10 a pop. If you want to get in touch with me, send me an email through the website, uh, proservepr.com. Tell me you want to know about George Finder's book. You can also go to his website directly, which is creditdamageexpert.com. Again, creditdamageexpert.com. Attorneys listening, this man can put a dollar amount on the damage to someone's credit reputation. You can walk into a settlement conference like that, and you'll win because I will tell you, there are only a handful of credit damage experts in the country, and um, George is uh, is a great guy. So, again, creditdamageexpert.com. Now we're going to hop back with Doug Eaton and round out our show, and we're going to talk a little bit now about intergenerational planning, um, planning for the future. And one of the things that I'll quick uh, um, suggest is that we had um, one of our friends, uh, Paul Garver, was talking about estate planning. He's an attorney in the Chicago suburb of Hinsdale. And he said when so many people do their own uh, planning, they don't realize that their uh, their insurance policies uh, on, on death are assets. And all of a sudden, there's um, you didn't think you have a million dollars in assets, but guess what? All of a sudden, you do. So um, there's, you know, we think about intergenerational growth and, uh, you know, growing for the future. There's so many things that just 
I don't think they jump off the page, and that's why we have such great uh, people like Doug to tell us why they need to seek sound advice. Okay. Doug? Yeah. So, oh, sorry. Um, you know, it, one of one of the people I really respect in the industry um, is a gentleman named Nick Murray, and he's been advisor to advisors for many, many years. And he, you know, he started as a stockbroker back in like 1970. And in any event, now he's he's really a mentor to a lot of advisors. And, and one of the things he has said that's you know really stuck with me is that wealth is 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 considered a, like a river because it widens and deepens as it moves. And you know, he he uses that to refer to wealth over time. That really, it's not just taking your money and spending it and buying a, a condo. It's it's really designed to to move from this generation to that generation, and it should widen over time. And, and you know, and essentially, the way the way I'm trying to teach clients to look at their their wealth for future generations is, is that they have to take the amount of assets that they have, and we we need to work together to put them into a position that the income from these investments sustains them sustains their heirs over time without a depletion of principal. And that's kind of the art form in intergenerational planning. You know, you're you're essentially trying to create enough income to pay the expenses. The challenge is inflation. Over time, inflation will lead into that. And you know, if I have a, a client who say a client and a spouse and say their average age is whatever, 62, at least one of them, at least one of them will live for another 30 years. And if they have several million dollars and they can live on that, but they're going to spend it, the goal maybe is to make sure that that money won't be spent, just the dividend on that money will be spent. And to continue to have that money grow and outpace inflation so over time, the heirs get it. And that's essentially the basis on which I'm doing the, the intergenerational types of planning. Now, this is different a little bit from uh, some people who say, I want my last check to bounce. What do you tell these guys? Well, you know, that's that's like, uh, you know, I talked to my mom about long-term care planning, and she tells me to just help her go buy a gun. You know, I think that it's... Um, you know, if, if she ever, you know, if she ever gets uh, to the point where she can't, uh, she can't function, you know, that's her, that's her sense of humor. But, <laughs> you know, the, um, I, I think that sometimes those comments are just a way of masking, you know, some fear about it. That very few people really want to get to that point where their last check bounces. And I understand that it's, you know, it's a way of saying, hey, I want to live really well. But through the planning process, once again, you know, if we're going back to the Socratic process and I'm asking you enough good questions and identifying really who you are, really, you're not going to really know the day on which you die. So how are you going to really know how to get it so your last check bounces? Exactly. There's so much advances in medical technology. Uh, well, you know, what if I've heard, um, I think one of our other guests had made a comment that more people are worried about running out of money than they are worried about dying. And, uh, you know, I guess until you, I, I don't know, do you have a lot of uh, people you work with, Doug, who are 
uh, have been investors always, or do we find some of these people who are are in their you know later years and are just getting into it, or? Well, you know, investor means that you're essentially taking some money and and hoping that if you if you give it to somebody or or buy something, it either provides you an income or appreciates in value. So to some degree, everybody I meet, and you know, almost everybody, is an investor. You know, what I find a lot of the time is that people who have never invested, so to speak, who have just sort of lived from paycheck to paycheck, you know, obviously want to learn how to be investors. And some start later than others. But, you know, one one of the things I, I do want to say in, in kind of the, you know, the vein of uh, I wanted my last paycheck to bounce is, is that, you know, people essentially have two emotions, all right? There's love and then there's fear. If you don't love anybody, then essentially all you have left is fear. And I think that generally speaking, people are afraid of running out of money. However, if you do have somebody or something that you love, therefore you are going to save money and you are going to invest in something that helps you protect that or whom you who you love. And whether you start at 60 or whether you start at 30, the concept is that essentially you're doing something out of love. And I, I think that's what's important. And that's, that's what's important about the process. The planning process helps you identify, as I said, what's important to you about your money. And whenever you start to do that, it's better than never having to start doing it. And, you know, essentially what ends up happening is that in most cases, people who are being honest with themselves will ultimately admit that they just, you know, don't really believe that they want their last check to bounce, that there's actually an end game in mind for them. And, you know, my role and, and something that's incredibly gratifying to me is getting people to that point where they're saying there's something bigger than me. This is something that I really love and, and want to support. Very, very true. Doug, let's talk about some future outlooks. This is an election year. Um Everyone in Florida just had the uh, all sorts of fun, and uh, luckily here in Illinois we don't get to see all of the uh, awful TV ads, and um, it's, that's always a nice thing to miss. But you know, so much controversy about the future outlook, and are we really rebounding? What's going on in Europe? How are things affecting things? You know, we have different micro, different micro economies. Uh, it seems um, Orange County, for example, uh, I get news alerts every day from the o- Orange County Register. There are new companies and new things to go and develop. I mean, it's buildings everywhere. It's like uh, gold rush all over again. And then you go a few states away, and you know people are packing up and moving, and it looks like uh, Conestoga wagons have. You know, so I don't know. There's so many mixed messages we get from media. All the talking heads are out there. What do you tell your clients when they call you worried? Well. You know, what What I will tell you is that clients of mine, you know, let's not, I don't want to make this a conversation about how fantastic I am, okay, but clients of mine very rarely call me scared because we've, we've been over all the possibilities of things that can happen so many different times and they're holding a lot of cash and they're they're set up in such a way where if they're going to worry about a lot of stuff, the worry about money and assets are, are kind of far down on the list. But what I can tell you is that if I get a, a, a new client or a prospective client who's very, very concerned about things, 
typically, if I, if I had to rank what they're most concerned about that doesn't have to do with them directly, is number one, what, what's going to happen in Europe and how is it going to affect us? And, you know, that, as you know, I mean, being in the media, Nick, if people just didn't watch TV or read the newspaper, they wouldn't be so nervous. But it is what it is, and I get a lot of questions about Europe. Um, number two, a lot of people are actually quite concerned about the, the future of our currency. You know, is is the dollar going to go away? Is you know, there, you know, there catastrophe. Uh, there's a fear of catastrophe, and I think I get you get a lot of questions, and I think people are very afraid of what's going to happen given our debt. And, and number three, I think people are very worried about their kids. What's going to happen to my kids? I mean, I, I worry about my kids. In 50 years, what's, what's the world going to be like for my kids? Those are big concerns. And those are, of course, aside from, you know, the concerns of what's bothering me in particular type of thing, you know? Makes sense. So, I, I mean, essentially what I'm, what I'm telling people and what, what I'm hoping to help them realize is that over time, if you looked at you know the last century and you really looked at what's happened over the last century, think of all the, the, the things that have gone on that are much more horrific than the euro possibly going away and where we are now. And what I mean by that is in 1940, Hitler was running all over Europe. There was talks of the Japanese invading the United States. It was terrible. It, it, the world was a mess. There was there was a huge amount of genocide. It was just a terrible, terrible, terrible situation. You know, after the war, there was an incredible amount of unemployment. In, in, the, in the late 20s and the early 30s, the stock market rise and fell twice by over 85%. Now, Look at that versus what's going on now. In, in 1962, was it, uh, you had the Cuban Missile Crisis, where we were, what, this close. And, and Vietnam, and, and in the late 60s, all the people getting assassinated. So any number of things. You, you take all of those things in the 70s, the, the terrible stagflation, and you look at it compared to what's going on now, they're all awful. Yet, you know, essentially, where we were... Uh, back then versus where we are now, the stock market's up thousands of percent, or, or I'm sorry, hundreds of percent. And so over time, the stock market goes up. Over time, wealth increases. Over time, people have families. Over time, the world turns. And that, that's what I try to remember people, I try to remind people to have a historical perspective on things, to do the right planning given their situation, and to have faith, you know, in, in the future of investment. You know, the, the the thing that I really try to impress upon people, you know, sort of speaking of systems, is that what I really like them to see is to focus on the factors that they can control. You know, as, as the saying goes, control itself is a myth. You can't really control anything. So what you can control is yourself, and you control your behavior. That's and right. That's what, that's what I'm trying to teach clients in terms of their behavior. And their behavior is essentially, you know what? You can develop a portfolio out of doing a plan. You can rebalance your investments to buy out-of-favor investments and scale back on some stuff that's done very well. 
you, you can keep track of what works for you and keep track of your 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 investments so you're you're always in kind of in balance and in tune with what your original plan was. You can make sure that your portfolio itself holds both out-of-favor investments and in-favor investments. I think everybody in the world knows at some point there's going to be an incredible amount of inflation. Mm -hmm. may not be today, may not be tomorrow, but it's coming. So why not have some inflation-protected instruments in your portfolio, that type of thing? Now, these are all factors that you can control. And when clients realize that, and they, they, they put that into perspective of all these crazy things going on in the world, they've, they've done themselves a service. And this is one of the things that I try to impress upon people, that if you're optimistic, that's realistic. Optimism is realism, and I, I try my best to get people in tune with that. And, you know, I don't want to hold your feet to the fire and say, don't sell, don't sell, it's all going to be fine, all is well. What I'd rather have you do is keep a perspective Think about your situation, your plan, and then make sure that you're comfortable with it, and then it all takes shape. So, you know, the, the job of mine is to, to give people perspective, and I think that's very helpful. It is. It is. I was, Doug, I was just looking at your website. Again, it's eatonfinancialgroup.com, all one word. This website is full of information about processes, costs, clients. I mean, really, you have a really nice website here, Doug. It's very transparent. It says exactly what you do, how you can help people now, how you can help them today. And um, I see a clients-only part. Really great website. Uh, and uh, I'm so glad. And I like the fee-based thing, too. So um, any other uh, final, as we're, we're out of time, we got to say goodbye. But any final uh, thoughts you want to leave with people or um, a call to action, if you will? Well, number one, I want to thank you for uh, a great time, um, great questions. I think uh, whomever will listen and who has listened probably got a lot out of this. And my final thoughts are, uh, A, just remember there's an incredible amount of information out there, but try to seek some good financial advice from somebody you trust. And, and B, remember that, that planners, what they do is really somewhat of a miracle because it, it can transcend even your life you know, to future generations. And that's really, really incredibly important. And if you take that perspective, you'll have an extremely sound financial plan. Now, I thank you so much for your time. Doug, I want to thank you, too. Again, Doug Eaton from Eaton Financial Group in New York and Florida. I'd also like to thank our listeners for tuning in to this episode of Money Talk Radio, produced by ProServe PR Marketing, with the support from Chris McCarthy of Northwestern Mutual. Chris McCarthy provides individuals and business owners with expert guidance and exclusive access to Northwestern Mutual's life and disability insurance policies. The Northwestern Mutual Life Insurance Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Money Talk Radio episode episodes are programmed to entertain and bring our finance industry professionals, consumers, and guests the tips and tools as well as news they can use to be better informed practitioners and consumers. With our guests and listeners located from coast to coast, we appreciate the opportunity to use this socially networked radio program to bring people together and share collective intelligence. Again, this is Nick Augustine with Money Talk Radio from ProServe PR Marketing in Chicago and Orange County, California. I thank you all for your time.